Hello, and thank you for tuning in. You are listening to the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. You can listen and subscribe to the show for free on Spotify, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, Blog Talk Radio, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Audible. For network or show information, visit FightRadio.me. And now, the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Good day, everyone, and thank you for joining us for this edition of the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Today, my special guest is Dr. Amy Stark, and we'll be talking about her new children's book, and also for older people, too. It's called You Are More Than, A Primer for Finding the Light in Your Heart, Inspirational for the Whole Family. You Are More Than explains with clear examples who you are is more than what you see on the outside. The book gives children and teens an opportunity to explore how they are part of the world around them. It helps them find the connection by breathing and connecting with the energy of the planet and learning that that when they do this, they will feel attached to everything around them. You Are More Than explores the idea that this life-affirming connection gives a person purpose and a chance to be of service. Dr. Amy Stark is a highly respected clinical psychologist based in California. She received her doctorate from the California School of Professional Psychology in San Diego. Her background in education is in child psychology. Dr. Stark is best known for her work with children in high-conflict divorce situations. For more information, you can visit her website, which is dramystark.com, and that's D-R-A-M-Y-S-T-A-R-K.com. And with that, I'd like to welcome Amy to the show. Good day, Amy. Good day to you as well. Well, thank you for joining me. I, I really enjoy speaking with authors who write children's books <laughs> and uh, are inspirational and kind of, um, you know, lead the way in, in helping our, our young ones, you know, grow up to be healthy adults. So um, I'd like to, I guess, first start with this particular book, and then we're going to talk about you have many other books, children's books, and we'll talk about those a little bit later in the show. But I want to start with this one. So when did the idea and what was, I guess, the seed of inspiration for this particular book? Well, I noticed that so many kids around me struggle with the wrong focus, and they're focusing on what their appearance is, what clothes are they wearing, what their parents do, uh, how good they are in sports, their grades. Those are nice markers for some things you can do, but it's lacking in terms of being aware of the world around them, our connection to the planet and each other, and our understanding that when you're clear about who you are on the inside, you can look around, pick something that needs to be done in the world that to make things better, like there's lots of choices now, and, and take some action and feel like you're part of something that makes the planet bigger and you're part of a connection that we all have together here on this planet. Yeah, excuse me. Yeah, just looking around, one can see, you know, that the focus. I mean, and you know, to be honest, you know, they are kind of mirroring what they see. You know, as far as you know, what parents um, are demonstrating, what's important. You know, and it's the things we have. You know, you know where we live, and, and appearance too. So. Um, you know, it, it's um, I, 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 that's why when I said in the introduction, it's you know a children's book, but it's also for big people. You know, I think that when a parent reads this to a, to the child or grandparent to the grandchildren, I don't know, it's a great way I think to um, stimulate you know the parent into remembering what's important and then maybe, you know, changing their behaviors a little bit so that, you know, 
you know, they're a good role model for children and, and mirroring, you know, what, what's good. Um, what, what, what's good to focus on. Um, now, this book, you know, you indicate that, you indicate that it, it's a book of hope for children. So, can you tell us a little bit about that? You know, I mean, you know, how, how is it um, generating hope in children? Well, you know, during COVID, lots of kids got very isolated. And they weren't connected to each other anymore because, you know, everyone was home. And they weren't connected to classmates and they weren't connected to anything. And I started by having kids go outside and planting things. Can you plant a garden? Can you plant something? Can you do something to see something grow so that you know during this time things aren't dormant? There's still growth. There's still hope. There's still something to look forward to. And out of that came some of these ideas for the book of how do we measure where we are where we are in life. And it's not just for kids to start to think about that, but all of us to think about that. You know, what is the, the yardstick that we use to measure our progress? Because let's face it, we should have learned from King Cut. You can't take your stuff with you. So, you know, you, you think, what, what are the other markers that I want to leave behind? How can I leave my mark in the world that might not be in a stone pyramid, but can it be that I made a difference with a certain number of people? Can it be that, that, I, that I picked something that was important to me? Can it be that I remembered we're connected to our planet, so we need to take care of my, my passion project, um, the butterflies and the bluebirds and, and things around us and teach people about nature and it's not just about our virtual reality or our gaming or, you know, those things, but it's about something more than that. And and what we want to do is evolve as a person and evolve our inner spirit so that we can be the best that we can be because that's what we take with us. Yeah. You know, when um, when I was reading the book, you know, and I got to the part when you were talking about uh, looking at the beauty of nature and, and seeing things grow around you, for, you know, for the kids. Um, that just kind of um, jumped out at me. Well, I'm uh, a nature photographer. Butterflies and dragonflies and flowers are kind of my, you know, I, I love taking pictures of, of nature. And, and, you know, I recognize the healing aspect of nature, you know, and it's, um, it's one of the things that I think, you know, you know, in today's society we've gotten away from. And now when we're talking about nature, um, what would you say to children who live maybe in an urban environment where, you know, nature, you know, um, is kind of hard to find in a way? Well, I take them outside. We start every session outside my office where I have a fairy garden and a butterfly habitat, all in pots. So it's not like a big, huge garden, but it's enough to, to be a certified habitat. And every time they come, like, here's a caterpillar, here's a cocoon. Here's uh, a couple of weeks ago I had a kid help me release ladybugs because they take care of avids. The kid was in heaven, covered with ladybugs. Um <laughs> You know, here's here's some here's what I grow. You can also grow some lettuce. What does that mean? Here's nature. Can we can we get grounded first before we start the work we have to do together? Um, and once they do that, they feel centered, grounded, with something else to talk about. They get going easier for them, and then we can talk about some of the hard stuff so I can help them heal in other areas in their life because they come from a place of centeredness. And that is such an important thing. And they also know yeah, they're connected. Yeah. And we're all connected. We're all connected to each other. <laughs> Even if we're yeah, we're all connected. Yeah, you know, um, that, that's the one, one of the things, too, that, that stood out um, to me in that is, you know, in the idea because, um, you know, even though we have like social media that provides a type of connection, it is kind of a very superficial, loose, you know, kind of connection. And um, in, in your book, um, one there was one um, part that it said, uh, "Yes, you are part of the light connecting us 
all from the inside, like holding hands in a big circle, and then you can feel the connection to everyone. To me, that was a wonderful um, way to demonstrate to children connectedness. Because they experience it. And often we have kids make a circle and be together. And that's when you realize how important that circle is and how everyone plays a role in that circle. And sometimes we forget yeah. that. We get caught up in our uniqueness, our individuality, the things that are important. We forget we're all connected to each other. And as things happen in our town, in our city, in our world, we're all connected. And we all are a part of that and experiencing that. And how can we stay centered and calm and come from a place of peace and hope and knowing we're going to be okay and we can handle our part of where we are and make where we are the very best it can be by something that we do or an action that we take or feeling centered and grounded and being calm in every situation we possibly can be. Yeah. Now, when you're, you're working with children and you're talking about um, energy and light, um, is how how do children respond to that? I mean, you know what I mean, because even for adults, it can be sometimes challenging to uh, you know put into words or to even recognize um, both as being a part of ourselves. Yes, sometimes it is that I will even say, think about an experience they had where they felt like this thrill inside. You know, and sometimes it can be a physical experience walking outside. Sometimes it can be, boy, when I hit that baseball, boy, did I feel that connection. Sometimes it can be, I did that thing that helped somebody, and boy, did I feel good for the rest of the day. That one small act of kindness just changed my day for me. Or I helped this kid on the playground who got hurt, and I made sure that they were okay. Or I stood up for somebody who needed someone to stand up for, and I felt good that I did it. It's those moments that I remind them of that gives them faith that they can know that they can be okay, and then that also teaches them that the stuff that's hard that we all have to handle, it's not like life isn't hard. It is sometimes. Mm -hmm. And that we know we can get through it and we're going to be okay and we're all connected and something will come of it and it will be fine. Yeah. Now, you mentioned a couple of times, you know, being of service, you know, giving examples of uh, children. And in the book, you talk about it several times throughout the book, um, about the importance of being of service. Um, do you find the, I mean, you know, to me, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of heartened, you know, by some of today's youth that I've seen, you know, in, the, um, in their awareness of service. Um, do you find, you know, that that's kind of a, um, a, a common, I mean, that, that it's even being more, um, taking place more often, you know, in, in children of today, you know, as far as being of service or, or is it you know, still kind of, for some, a foreign idea? Some kids are raised that way. And they, you know, they're doing some fundraiser at school or they go, oh, you know, lots of kids here in California have to do community service in high school. And and we talk about ways in which they could do something meaningful, like something that they believe, you know, this kind of made a difference and it changed who I am and how I want to be in the world. And I think I want to do more of this. Um, some kids, they're just very focused on other things and they forget to think about it. And when you talk about it, and you talk about little ways that they could do it. They don't have to do something big, you know, a million-dollar fundraiser. It can be you see someone struggling at the airport, and they and it's a woman with her kid and the, all the bags and the stroller and all the stuff, and you say, can I help you? It's things like that that make a difference, and you teach kids. It's not just always big things. Sometimes it's just a little thing, saying good morning to someone. You look nice today. Uh, finding ways to be positive to people around you are ways that we can be of service and ways that we can help each other. And you and you look around, you see what needs to be done, and you see how you can make a difference, and little things matter. So when you teach them that, they kind of light up like, well, I'm, I guess I forgot to think about that. You know, I, you know, the kids are thinking about the GPA and they're getting off to college and all this stuff. 
but they forget to think, wow, that kid over there is sitting alone at lunch. No one should sit alone at lunch. Let me go and invite them into our group, and I'm going to tell everyone, we're going to be, we're going to be inclusive. Let's, let's bring this person over here, and let's all eat together. Why should anyone eat lunch alone? It's such a simple thing. So you can be a person multiple days in days. You have to be reminded sometimes. Yeah. Well, you know, that, that's good. You know, I mean, because, um, you know, again, I, you know, I, I, I have seen, you know, just um, a lot more, um, you know, awareness in, in young children and activism, you know, in, you know, in their youth. And that, and that's me back to mind. It's like, oh, I, I, you know, I hadn't a clue, you know, when I was that age, you know, as far as what was going on in the world and the impact that I could make. You know, to me, it was you know, very foreign. And, um, and I think, you know, with the examples, you know, that uh, we see now, you know, and, and other children can see what others are doing, then I think that is empowering as well. I agree. There are some kids who have done some extraordinary things that you think, wow, they had the presence of mind to think about, you know. What an awesome thing. And they understand very early how it feels when you do that. And how good you feel inside. You're like, wow, this is an important thing. It doesn't matter how little or big it is. It's an important thing because I feel like I did something that's going to change somebody's small little corner of the world even for five seconds. This has value. Yeah, very much. Yeah, about seven or eight years ago, I had a pair of preteens on my show, and they had started a nonprofit called OMG, One More Generation, and it was, they worked with, um, you know, endangered species, you know, and it started off with them going to their father and just wanting to sponsor a white rhino, you know, and, and you know, from that point on, it, it just grew, and by the time they were on my show, they had gone to Korea, and were talking to children there, you know, and their, their nonprofit just blossomed, and, you know, to me, it was just like, you know, this was, you know, to me, this was, um, you know, a light, you know, for our future that, that I see um, coming up. Which is so important, and we want to encourage and support every kid in the efforts that they see yeah. in making a difference in the world around them. Yeah. Um, one of, yeah, one of, one of the, you know, I mean, you, in your book, you, of course, you talk about things, you know, that, you are more than the things you have um, and the family you love, um, but also one of the one of the you are more than the place you live. Um, you know, and, and that one just kind of struck me. Um, just kind of not even really thinking of the idea that you know some children would. Um, kind of judge themselves, I guess, or, or, or see themselves as a function of where they live. You know, and it, particularly I'm thinking of those who who have or who are homeless or who are in shelters or, you know, those who, you know, don't have a particular home or even foster children whose homes are sometimes tenuous, you know, that um, that, that can be um, a factor. Yeah, it can, and it can be a way in which they either positively or negatively measure themselves, you know. And yeah. and also sometimes, you know, the, the judgments they think other people are putting on them for where they find themselves. I remember years ago, a kid in my practice, we were talking about, you know, that maybe she might want to go through because she had a ton of toys that she even opened from the previous holidays. And I suggested, you know, like, oh, it's Christmas, and, you know, there's some kids that are, in less fortunate situations than you, who would be thrilled with a brand new toy that's still in the box, that they don't necessarily have as much things as you are. And you may want to think of that, that, that those kids are unfortunate. She goes, oh, you mean people who live in apartments? Oh, wow. Oh. I, yeah, but people who are living in apartments, there are people who don't live in apartments and they're living in the backseat of their car and they have to wash up at the gas station. 
and they have a lovely teacher who bought them a backpack and quietly left it on the back of their chair in the desk because they knew the kid didn't have one, you know? And and yeah. so you have to think that, that you, you know, you are in a different group and you have to just drive. And I even suggested the parent, you need to drive down to this part of town. I mean, you just need to drive through because I think your kid doesn't have a very good sense of how fortunate they are. And maybe this will remind them, like, oh, wow, I had no idea. These are people lining up to eat at the end of the day because that's the place they get their food. So it was very enlightening for this. It's really interesting how this kid came back, like, whoa. I, You know, it just somehow had not sunk in. It was a kid in sixth grade who was by then you would hope with some of this would have sunk in. But um, wow. it changed this kid. You know, it was really interesting, just that one little intervention uh, made a kid who started to think about and look around at school and who had stuff and who didn't and how would that kid feel who's looking at other people and they don't even have a backpack this year. So it's really important to, you know, educate and say, you're very fortunate. Not everyone may be as fortunate as you, but that doesn't make them less. You're all equally worthy. You're all equally, you know, lovable. It's not a measure of anything other than where you are now. It's not even a measure of where you're going to end up unless you let it be. So you could be in unfortunate circumstances and still get yourself to where you want to be, and you want to make sure you see everyone that way as well. Yeah, yeah. That, you know, that's, you know, I think, you know, parents would um, do well to be able to, you know, show their children the um, just how some of the other people are living, you know, and, and you know how you know how fortunate they are. Now, for some kids, you know, that might be a you know uh, who who have known nothing other than um, you know privilege. That uh, that might be you know sometimes a, a challenging. Um, way to change perspective but but it is important yes it is because then you realize how fortunate you are and there's so much you could share yeah absolutely now yeah now what when you talk in the book too you you talk about um joy you know um you know and do you find that um, the concept of joy is um, easy or, or maybe sometimes not so easy to communicate to children the idea of joy. Or I guess maybe just <laughs> opening up Christmas presents might be a, a good way to start with that, I guess. Well, there's also joy in simple things, which is why we always start outside in my garden. There's joy outside in nature. You know, oh, my gosh, the kids said, I found, like, this, look at this cocoon. Oh, my gosh, this wasn't here last week. Or what one little thing, here's this, look at this. I had my moonflowers blooming. They open only at night, and it's kind of like science. You kind of watch them open up. Like, holy cow, look at that. So, oh, my gosh, I've never seen that. There's joy in the clouds. There's joy in the trees. There's joy everywhere. And you're not always going to be in a state of joy. I wish I could be that um, enlightened. But here we, here we are, and can you find joy in simple things? Because it's not always joy and you've got that brand new Mercedes. That's not, that is fun, but it's, that's not the only source of joy. Joy can be, oh, my gosh, you've got the best, uh, I like chai tea latte. So you've got the best chai tea latte ever. This is just, <laughs> oh, it tastes so good. That's joy, you know. It doesn't have to be something expensive. It can be something little because then you can be happier more of the time, and you kind of have to teach that. And I see kids who are whose parents are in the middle of a divorce who sometimes don't see one of their parents, and they have to, you know, have conjoint therapy to work on reestablishing a relationship because they got caught in the middle of the battle. Um, and, and it's hard for them to sometimes get from this broken family and constant strife and constant litigation to a place of what makes me happy. And I like to start with simple, basic things I know that they can achieve. And so that's why it's so important to be able to teach that. 
because they lose sight of that sometimes. They're well, in the middle of this thing between their parents because it's become bigger than life for them. Yeah, wow. Um, now we're going to take a break in, in a few moments, maybe. But um, before we do, um, I, you know, I, I love the illustration in your book. You know, I mean, it's first of all, it's, it's very inclusive <laughs> as far as the in the book. You know, you I think you've got um, representatives from every ethnicity, um, and and girls and boys alike share equally. Um, now, how did you? Now, the, the illustrator is by. Um, Moran Ruder, I believe, or Ruder. Um, how did you, how did you connect and, and work, you know, I mean, cause there are people out there who like to write children's books, but, you know, a, a key component in the book is the illustration. I mean, especially with children's books, you know, they, um, before they can even read, you know, they're, you know, interacting with or absorbing the photo, the picture, or the illustration. So tell us a little bit about how um, things came together for the illustrations in this book. Well, um, you know, believe it or not, she's in China, um, and we oh. found her online. My, my publicist helped me find her online, and I loved her art. And there was something magical in it. And so for each and every section, I would give suggestions, you know, because I wanted an inclusive book. I wanted it mm-hmm. to, to be beautiful and to have flow and we suggest different things. And she was able to do it and match the – it was amazing. She was like a gift. She really was a gift because mm-hmm. she really enhanced the words and, and understood what I wanted and was I, – I love the inclusive – inclusivity because that was really really important to me so everything yeah. just communicated in email and look at how beautifully it came out it did it, it is very like i say it, um, i'm very impressed with it and um again you know i think without even having to read the words associated with the images um children i think are going to be able to not only absorb it, but maybe even, you know, kind of add to the story with their story, looking at the pictures. Yes, because some of them, I'm telling you, when I showed them to, um, I'm, I'm a fairy godmother, and I have two kids um, that I call my fairy godchildren, and when I showed the girls, for every picture they would write, wow, just wow. Not pretty much everything. Uh, uh, that's great, great. So let's go ahead and, and take a break, and then when we come back, I want to talk about the other books um, that you have and, and just a little bit about the work that you do with children, okay? Okay. Okay, great. Everyone stay tuned. We'll be right back after this very brief break. Hello, this is Robert Sharp. I want to thank you for joining us, and I hope that you are enjoying today's show. Just a reminder that we have a wealth of information and resources available on our website, byteradio.me. There is a calendar of upcoming shows, along with an archive link that will give you access to more than 1,600 shows that we have had during the past 12 years. Also on the site is a link to the products and services we provide, books, nature photography, calendars, and 5x7 photo greeting cards. Our show is a free podcast on Blog Talk Radio, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and TuneIn. And you can subscribe for free on any of those platforms by using the links on our website homepage. We are on social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, etc. And we also have buttons to those platforms on the top of our homepage. Our website, ByteRadio.me, has much for you to explore and enjoy. I also very much appreciate you supporting our guests, and especially today's guest. And now, back to the show. Okay, everyone, thank you for staying with us again. Today, my special guest is Dr. Amy Stark, and we're talking about her new children's book, called You Are More Than 
a primer for finding the light in your heart. And again, you can find out more about Amy, her all her books and her work by visiting her website, which is dramystark.com. Again, that's D-R-A-M-Y-S-T-A-R-K.com. Okay, with that, we're back, Amy. Okay. Hello, Amy. Okay. Hi, here. Okay, great. Okay. So, um, I mentioned, you know, you have, I mean, you're, you're the author of seven books for children. Now, one, one of the, you know, and then this particular, you are more. Um, so one of your series, um, is called, it's a three book series called Whole Heart Series. Um, so can you tell us, first of all, uh, a bit about the overall theme um, of that particular series? Sure. I, I started with Whole Heart for Girls because I could see so many girls in my practice struggling with self-esteem, um, not knowing how to feel positive about themselves, and constantly proving or feeling the need to prove that they were lovable versus knowing you're lovable and all you need to do to improve is practice a skill. But no matter where you are in that practice spectrum, you're still lovable. And I developed a story about that and um, and then added at the back discussion points about what to do with bullying, what to do if a teacher's upset with you, uh, what to do if your friends pick on someone, and then some exercises to improve your self-esteem about, like, knowing your name has a meaning, uh, what does it mean? Why did your parents name you that? Um, how can you feel positive about yourself? How do other people feel about you? So that it's all inclusive. It tells the story of where self-esteem comes from, helps you understand no matter what, you're lovable. You can make a mistake. You're still lovable. And then what are some things that you can do in terms of maintaining your self-esteem when you're in incidents with kids your age that may or may not go the way you want? So that developed, and then um, as I was working with kids, I realized, oh, young women have a different set of issues. As girls go out into the world, there's a different set, and I added on to the book of what can happen as they get older and, and the different challenges they face in maintaining their self-esteem as they get older and not being defined, their self-esteem not being defined by things that happen, but being defined on the inside by who they are. And then one day I was presenting some books at a school day for authors. This boy raised his hand and he goes, you know, Amy, boys need self-esteem help too. And he goes, you know, <laughs> you need to write a book for us. And he goes, and make sure it has cartoons in it because you know we love that. So then Whole Heart for Boys was born, which is one of my most popular books. It's really interesting. Um, and I listened. I heeded what he said, and I did all those things. And it kind of explains it from the boys' perspective of, from the boys in my practice who've talked about and struggled with it. I included those kind of things in the book. Um, so that's where the series came from it's because it's a practical way in which they can look at it, reaffirm that they need to work on it, because don't we all need to be reaffirming our self-esteem once in a while, and then some very practical ways in which to do it. Well, that's, that's wonderful to have those that practical application um, because, you know, it's one thing to read, you know, about self-esteem and that's another whole thing to feel it, you know, through application. Yeah, and it's important also because some of the things, some of the examples are things that do, that do and have happened to many kids in my practice and it's really important for them to go, oh my gosh, I can relate to that or I saw that or gee, I don't know what to do or I did struggle with that and, with some other ways I could have handled it, because that's how we all learn socially, how to improve in our relationship, and also how to have conflict sometimes with others, which we do, but still feel that we're likable and lovable. Because guess what? Do you like everybody? Probably not. Is everyone <laughs> going to like you? Probably not. Are you still lovable? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's great. That's good. You know, that's, you know, and, and I mean, these are life skills that um, will really empower them, you know, later on, you know, as they as they grow and, and confront some of life's challenges, you know, and um, 
So that's a, it's a it's a good way to it's, it's good to create those kinds of perspective habits or or actions, you know, in the youth, so that you know it, it becomes really a part of their nature. Well, yeah, it's important because you always want to remember that if you know you're lovable, you don't got to prove it. You don't got to prove it in yeah. any relationship you have. You come out of the box lovable. You are lovable. You can get better at baseball. You can get better at math. You can improve at work. You can change how you handle a situation. But you're still lovable. And if you're clear on that, you don't have to do all the different things that you do that you think, I hope you're going to love me now. I hope you're going to love me now instead of, I am lovable. I hope that you can notice how hard I'm working at this. And even not, can you notice how hard you're working at something? So yeah. it's important to differentiate that right from the beginning. Then you don't have to spend your whole life proving you're lovable. You are lovable. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I in the, almost now starting my 13th year of doing the show, um, I have had many a uh, person on who has been Drug, has struggled with that self-worth, self-love um, challenge, you know, and, and um, you know, and it's amazing um, just, I guess, how prevalent it is. I mean, I, I, you, know, I, you know, I mean, it might be just, you know, as a subset of the people I you know that come to my show, you know, um, that are, you know, they're inspirational, but, but it does seem like, like that's a that's a challenge that really affects a lot of a lot of people. Yes, it does. And when I give workshops, I do workshops um, on self-esteem. And when I do the first, the three words I have them repeating throughout the entire workshop as we read the book together are, "I am lovable." Because I said if they can walk away with three words that they remember from the whole time that we're together for this workshop and they can remember those three words, those words will serve them well their entire life. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that's true. And once one fully embraces that, you know, as their sense of being, then like you say, you know, you don't have to prove anything to anyone, you know, and that, you know, you, you can live a full and happy and healthy life um, regardless of what others may say or do. Yes, you can. And then you don't have to, then when people do their stuff, you go, okay, that's their stuff, and how am I going to put that in perspective? <laughs> and is that yeah. how I want to be in the world? Is that who I want to be? Because you know yeah. you're lovable. You don't need to prove it. You just are. And if they don't feel that way about you, find someone who does. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Now, you also wrote a Fairy Godmother Illustrated book series. Um, this is The Fairy Godmother Next Door, The Fairy Godmother Babysits, and The Godmother Helps the Monarchs. So tell us a little, I mean, you mentioned yourself, you know, referring to yourself as Fairy Godmother. Um, so tell us, tell us about, a little bit about that. I mean, because that, that kind of, you know, borders more on the, you know, the fantasy side, I guess, in a way. Yeah, it started because um, in my former neighborhood, I lived next door to a family, and I was involved with, you know, friends with the family, and then the son moved in with his new wife, and then all of a sudden she was pregnant, and from the very beginning, you know, I was involved, and in fact, when, when their first, when the first, uh, Kenna was born, I was the only babysitter the girls had for the first, like, five years of their lives. Me. It was me. Um, pretty good to have a child who calls us as your babysitter. Um, but, but, and, and, and so they thought the special name for me would be Fairy Godmother. So they call me FG. And um, I, I do all the kind of stuff that grandparents would do, you know, the bikes, the, you know, I pay for Tinkerbell at the party along with their grandma and the rest of their uh, grandparents are, have passed away, so it's kind of me. I, I fulfilled that role. And the stories came about from things that happened with them. And as I was called the fairy godmother, and everyone knows I have a massive fairy garden outside my office, and I had one in my home. I, I love fairies, so 
have these miniature little gardens that are all intricate, which I changed for every single season outside my office as a way to honor the season and teach kids that, but also just fantasy. I think it's important to believe in something and to have that fantasy and playfulness in your life, and I don't think you should ever lose that. So the books came out of that. And obviously the first one, the, the you know, the fairy garden next door, because I was living right next door, and that's what, you know, we even had a little gate that we made between our properties called the Friendship Gate that we could go back and forth, and we didn't have to go all the way around the front and all the way down the side, we had a Friendship Gate. Um, and the kids just got used to coming over all the time. And um, because I involved dogs in my work, um, my, my dogs that I had at the time, uh, Rita Hayworth and Jimmy Stewart are also in that book. I standard poodles. Um, and they're in the book and it's all about, and then I try to teach a lesson in everyone because I'm a psychologist and I can't help it. So, um, not only is there a cute story, but there's also a lesson in every single one that you want to teach something that's important. Like, you know, the first one is believing, having a dream, hoping for something. And the second one in the babysitting one is being aware knowing when you need to help somebody and helping people out. And the third one, obviously, is one of my passion projects, helping the monarch butterfly, because I'm, I'm very passionate, because I don't, I mean, they're, they're in danger of extinction, and I, boy, I'm doing my part to, to make sure that everyone is aware, and if one or two people plant milkweed, it's a score, you know, for our team. So, um, it, all of those are important things to talk about to kids and a chance also to teach about being of service and believing and believing in the future and having a hope and dream and knowing they'll come true. So that's where they all came from is stuff that actually happened with my very godchildren because I, I was so lucky and blessed to have them in my life. Wow. That's wonderful. You know, and you're right, you know, so often – um, when you know about the idea of, of fantasy and imagination, um, when children are very young, you know, um, a two, three, four year old kind of um, age, you know, fantasy and and um, imagination run rampant, you know, and then um, once they enter schools, you know, socialization sometimes, you know. Tamps down on that imagination, and, and um, you know, but it's always good to keep it alive and nurturing. I think, um, and you know, regarding the monarchs, I do love monarchs. I have one of my favorite gardens. Um, they have a, a butterfly um, house, and uh, one of the uh, gentlemen that works in there, as I would walk through the garden. I see him with his butterfly, and I asked him one day what he was doing with it, and he said, well, we're, we're, you know, catching and tagging the monarchs, you know, so that we can, you know, check their migratory pattern, you know, and um, this last year, um, he's had so few of monarchs that have, you know, you know, been in the wild that they've been able to, you know, to tag, and, and he said it was a, a very noticeable decline, and, and that's a real sad thing. Yeah, and that's why everyone should plant milkweed. Uh, it's suitable to your yeah. neighborhood because, you know, it's really important to help them out. They need their habitat. They can't lay eggs on anything else. So um, I teach every kid that. So so it's not only I, – I not only want to teach a lesson like sharing, dreaming, whatever, I also want there to be magic. And, and if you were to come to my office, basically Shangri-La here, um, you know, I have the, the fairy garden up front. You come into the waiting room. I actually have a jukebox in my waiting room and a train that hangs from the ceiling. And then you come into my office office, and I have a fairy fort and all kinds of games. And, and, and I love it when kids can do imaginative play because not everything needs to be a video game. I understand kids love that, but I think you also need to be able to imagine Oh, here's a fort. I have a castle. Who's going to live there? What are they going to do? How are they going to talk to each other? Oh, here's another thing. This is a this is my fairy house. You got fairies who can live there. What is their goal? What do they do? And they play together and and be able to imagine what you don't have and make it work instead of you know kids will say, but wait, I don't have a hot tub. You can pretend you have one. Wait, I don't have a swing. You can pretend you don't have one. Because kids don't necessarily look at that anymore. So yeah. it's important to have that. 
Yeah, and you can learn a lot, I would think, through that imaginative play. I mean, you know, a lot about the child and, and maybe some of the challenges they're going through by listening to their play. Yes, you can. I can spend just a few minutes with a kid in a dollhouse, and I know what's going on at home, and I know what they're struggling with. And sometimes some little kids you have to do it through play, but other kids you can stop and go, talk about what really is, and then we'll have a little chat about it, and then go back to play. depends on the age of the kid and their wanting to do it. And sometimes we can play things out and teach them to come to a resolution about, you know, the changing of their family life. You know, that now they don't just have one house, they have mom's house and dad's house. And things have really changed, and they go back and forth, and they don't get to see both parents every day. And and lots of things are different, but they can still have a magical life. They can still have good things. They can still get positive things from each parent. How are they going to get there? And there's magic at every moment, and no matter what the circumstances is, they can still find it. So yeah. that's why it's important to keep that part of them alive because so it's traumatic. Sometimes some of these things that happen um, with kids and their families as they're kind of disintegrating before them, before they become what they can be. And kids are sometimes at a loss, and it's important to talk about that and help them, but also still give them sometimes a moment just to be a kid and to be free to play and be free to imagine. Yeah, very much so. And now, what are some of the services that you offer for, for people who are listening. You know, obviously, you work with, with children, you know, and, and I mentioned in the um, introduction, um, in particular, children of divorce. Um, but can you maybe share a little bit about, you know, just the scope of the services that you offer? Yeah. Um, I usually I work hand-in-hand with our local family law court in Orange County. And most of my referrals come because they're court-ordered, um, okay. and the court wants to help their family heal or help the child heal or help the parents know how to, you know, work better to, you know, because even if you're divorced, you still got to be parents. Even if you're divorced, yeah. you still need to make sure your kids meet their developmental milestones. Even if you're divorced, your kids still need to have a normal life and not spend half of it wondering about how their parents are going to behave at their baseball game. So I work with the parents. I work with kids who maybe are mad at one of their parents or won't see one of their parents. Um, and then I also work individually with some of the kids who just have been crushed by what has happened and are having a real-time, real bumpy ride with getting through the idea of parents separating, getting through the idea of how their life has changed. Um, so they can get to the point where they're like, I had a kid the other day go, you know, I'm an expert now. I said, really? Yeah, you know, the next kid that gets divorced in my class, I'm going to tell them, here's how you go back and forth. Here's how you make this work. This is what I do, and this is what I suggest. <laughs> and I yeah, go, yeah. well, good for you, you know. You have made you've made something good out of this situation, and, and you've figured out how you can cope, and that is a skill you can pass along. And you know there's no shame in having your parents not together. It happens to quite a few kids, and you're not the only one. So it's good if you know that and you can feel good about it and you know that you've done a good job in dealing with it. And yeah. you want resilience no matter where you find your kids. So I, I like that to be my goal. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Now, I, I noticed on your website, you know, that uh, you have a, a tab meeting meet Spencer. <laughs> As you mentioned, yeah. you know, the, the idea of uh, Gregory Peck. TV Stewart and Rita Hayward. Um, so, you know, and, and of course you have photos of Spencer too. Um, t- tell us a little bit about, you know, the idea of having a dog available, you know, to assist with working with children. Hey, that started years ago when I got my very first poodle, Greta Garbo. Um, my mom had been working uh, – my mom lived in Minnesota, and she had been working at the Kurt Center with uh, disabled kids. And she said to me, you know, dogs make, a, like, a big difference. It's, like, an important part of our program. And so she said, let's see if you can – we'll get you a poodle because kids aren't allergic to that. And let's see if you can incorporate And that was my very first service dog. And so currently I have um, Spencer Tracy. I name all my dogs after uh, movie <laughs> starts. Um 
And mm-hmm. and Spencer Tracy is a white golden doodle, 63 pounds of trouble. He's got a lot of poodle in him, you can tell. And he is the sweetest, kindest, gentlest dog ever. Um, in fact, he was a hero. When he was when I first got him, he was about I got him at six months. He was partially trained. He got transported here from North Carolina. And um, we were in the office, and there was a kid that was, you know, kind of irritated and whatever. My dog kept going over, poking him, looking at me, poking at him, looking at him. What is wrong with you? Never seen that behavior before. And all of a sudden, the kid started to have a seizure. And, you know, the parents handled it, whatever, whatever, the kid. And as soon as the kid came to, he grabbed Spencer put his arms around him and said, you are my hero dog. You're the only one who knew something was happening to me. And I thought, I didn't even know he could do that. Um, it was wow. pretty impressive. So, you know, he's really good at taking people's feelings. He crawls on the couch because he is allowed on the furniture. Um, he crawls on the couch and he just lays and puts his head in someone's lap. He does it for kids and parents alike. If they're having a hard day, he goes over and puts his head just sometimes even on their knees. And people mm. feel centered. It's a way to get centered. Dogs are a way to get centered. Yeah. They pet them. They get calm. They breathe easier. Their blood pressure lowers. Uh, having an animal around serves a point that helps us get centered, and it's really important. So everyone who comes mm-hmm. here knows I have dog or dogs <laughs> at any given time, and and um, that is a part of my practice. And he's trained to be around children. He's great with them. Um, and, and I think it's very healing, and I because I, I want this to be an environment like coming to someone's house, you know, where you come. I I have kids tell me it's it's homey here, and I, that's good. You know, they go. I even like the way it smells because I have apple cinnamon, you know, air freshener. Cause it smells like cookies. You know, you want it to feel like it's your home, like you can relax, like you can let your guard down, like you know. You can sit on the couch with a dog. You can talk about stuff, or we can play whatever you need to that day to work through whatever issue we're working through at that point, and you feel safe. And that's what I want kids to feel, because some of the work I have to do is the hardest work they'll do in a long time. So I want them to have that extra safety thing, and the dog helps do that. It's really important. Plus, it's good company for me, you know? <laughs> um, that's a nice plus. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that, that's great. Well, Amy, I really want to thank you for your time today and, and really appreciate the work that you do in helping build children's self-esteem and hope. It's something that we really, the world needs more of. So I appreciate that very much. Well, thank you. Okay, everyone, uh, again, today my special guest has been Dr. Amy Stark, and we've been talking about her new book, You Are More Than, A Primer for Finding the Light in Your Heart. And again, you can find out more by visiting Amy's website, which is dramystark.com, and that's D-R-A-M-Y-S-T-A-R-K.com. And everyone, I want to thank you for joining us for this edition of the Bringing Inspiration to Earth Show. And until we meet again, 